Well, this morning I want to start with a simple question to get us thinking, um, and that is simply, what type of Christmas person are you? What is your reaction to the Christmas season? Because as I've uh, watched people and even looked at myself and my own family, it seems like there's several different people that treat the Christmas season in slightly different ways. And I'm just going to use some movie characters to maybe get us thinking about what type of Christmas person you might be. What is your reaction to Christmas season? We'll start with the green guy. We'll start with the Grinch. You know, the Grinch's response and his reaction to Christmas season is pretty much that Christmas is nothing but irritating noise and needs to end as soon as possible. Maybe you find yourself there. I hope not, but maybe you are a Grinch. You're just ready for this all to end because you're irritated. Or maybe you're a Scrooge. Uh, and, and by the way, the Grinch ends well. So, But anyway, you know the stories. The Scrooge, as we talk about Ebenezer Scrooge, Christmas is frivolous and wasteful. It must be avoided at all costs. So maybe that is the type of Christmas person you may be. It's just you look around and you see that Christmas is just a waste of time. And so therefore you don't dive in. Maybe you're Charlie Brown. Now, I've been accused of being Charlie Brown many times by my family because I can get... I wouldn't say depressed, although Charlie calls it that in, in Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. But Christmas is full of commercialism, and therefore it is downright depressing. You look around and you see all the stuff that Christmas has become, and quite honestly, not really meant to be. And so therefore we get down on Christmas. So maybe you're a Charlie Brown. Or maybe you're Buddy the Elf. Buddy the Elf, Christmas is all candy canes and snowflakes and full of cheer. And so you sing everywhere because that's how you bring Christmas cheer. And so you love Christmas and everything about Christmas. And, and it doesn't, like, there can't be anything wrong with Christmas at all. And you are Buddy the Elf. Or maybe you're a, a Santa type of Christmas person. Christmas is all about being good. It's about giving and getting gifts. It's about eating and enjoying goodies. So receive and give. So maybe you're the, the type that looks to Christmas and you're not necessarily looking at uh, all the frills, but, you know, gifts. You love giving, you love receiving. And I'm not going to say that any of these are necessarily wrong or right. You have to decide what type of person you might be. Uh, but we all have different reactions to Christmas. Uh, and maybe you're finding yourself somewhere in the middle of all of that. Um, but I also want to think about uh, children and how they respond to Christmas gifts. Uh, you know, when I, was a, when I was a kid, my parents would take home videos. Maybe some of you have those around, and you're still watching those home videos time and again. Uh, and I'm so embarrassed all the times that I watch myself open gifts, especially the times that I open them, and it is, there is no question in anyone's mind that that is the very last thing I ever wanted in my life. Uh, you, you quickly pushed it to the side, you mutter a thank you, sometimes you don't even do that. And sure enough, I have kids, and lo and behold, they do the same thing. You give them some underwear, and all of a sudden, Christmas isn't fun anymore. And you can tell that there is either, when you give a gift to somebody, you can tell whether they are genuinely thankful for that gift, whether they're receiving it with thanksgiving, or if they're receiving it uh, in a way that is disrespectful and honestly just hurtful. Uh, and, and there's really only two ways, because people can try to just be courteous, but usually you can tell. Some people are really good at disguising their feelings, but the idea is either you like a gift or you don't, and you need to be very careful when Christmas comes uh, if you don't like that gift to make that as obvious as many kids do. And so 
I, I tell you all this, and like this is obviously nothing spiritual at this point, just to get us thinking about what type of person, what type of gift receiver, what type of Christmas person are you? How do you view the whole Christmas season? Because what we're going to look at today is there's going to be biblical characters that respond to the coming of Jesus in different ways. Whereas most of the ones I gave you today were kind of negative, we're going to see a lot of positive reactions to the birth of Jesus. We're going to see lots of positive reactions to Christmas, and we'll also see one really big negative response. And at the end of our time today, I hope what we're going to see, and I'll just tell you where we're going, is that when it comes to Christmas, when it comes to Jesus, and, and when I'm talking about Christmas, I'm not just talking about the holiday. I'm not just talking even about a baby being born in a, in a manger, being born and then put in a manger. What I'm talking about when it comes to Christmas is Jesus himself. Jesus who came, God himself, came down from his throne, became a baby, yes, born into this world so that as we just sang, he could live a perfect life, eventually die on the cross, rise again, and then promise to come back one, one day again in a second Christmas if you want to put it that way. The whole idea of Christmas is Jesus. The whole idea, the whole thing, everything comes in Jesus. And so Jesus is going to be our thought process as we think about how do people respond to Jesus? How did people in the Christmas story respond to Jesus? And then how today do people respond to Jesus? And my hope as we leave today, we will be one that responds in a positive way of faith in Jesus in every moment of our lives and not in doubt and fear. And so we'll be looking at that today as we look at several different people that we see in the Christmas story. We will be reading a lot of, uh, a lot of Christmas texts that many of us are very, very familiar with this morning. But as we read these texts, let us not just turn our ears away because we've heard them all before, but let us really dive in to see what people thought about Christmas and then how we also then could reflect those things. So... We're going to start with Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. We've been talking a lot about women and, and how God has given such honor to them. And here's Mary. She is uh, an, a woman that is given honor by God, the honor to, to carry the Son of God, to carry Jesus. There was nothing in her, but the grace of God came to her. And that's what I'm going to start by looking at Luke chapter 1. It will be on the screen, but if you're following along, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 is where we'll start. Again, these will be very familiar texts. Luke 1, 26-38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The first thing we're going to see, the reaction of Mary to Christmas. The Christmas declaration that the Son of God was going to come to the world. The Savior was coming. Mary's very first reaction is very simple throughout all of this. Although she has a little bit of fear of the angel, although she has a little bit of misunderstanding about how this is going to work, at the end of the day, the very last verse we just read, what does Mary do? She trusts God. She puts her faith and her trust in God and what he had told her. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's a, that is Mary's first response, is trust in Jesus, trust in God, that God, what he told her would be true, that she indeed would do what he was, she was being asked to do and accepted it freely because she trusted God completely. She believed God and was ready to serve him. It goes on. We're going to skip a few verses over. We're going to get to verse 46. In verse 46 of the same chapter, then we see what Mary also does as she contemplates what God has done for her and through her and in her. And we see that in Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and his offspring forever. Second thing we see Mary do here is simple. It's praise. She takes a moment. She could have just thought about how cool this was and thought about how great it was to be a mom and all these other things. But no, she made sure she took time to praise the one who was the the one who was doing all of this. Notice how many times she mentions the mercy of God in here. That she understands the grace that is given to the humble. And not only did she realize that God's mercy was for her, but we also see in this, this section where she is praising God with her words, many believe maybe a song, but as she does this, one thing she makes very clear is this is not just something God has done for her, but something God has done for all of Israel. She understands how indeed, how deep this truly is, how important this truly is. And so she praises God for his mercy, for his strength, for what he has done, that he is holy. She didn't focus on herself. She didn't focus on any external things. She focused on God and his holiness, his goodness, and his grace. That is how she responded. And the final thing is just one simple verse. As we go on through the Christmas story, many of you will know how this goes, and we'll read these verses later, but the shepherds come, they see uh, Jesus, he's laying, he's there, he's in the manger, and, and they are talking about the angels coming, and Mary is there, and what we read, Mary's response, when she hears all about what's going on, when she watches the shepherds who are worshiping her baby, this is what she responds with in Luke 2.19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So the first thing she did was trust God, then she praised God, and now she treasures Christmas. She realizes as she watches this happen that there is something unbelievably precious, unbelievably 
important that is happening in front of her eyes. And so she treasures Christmas. She treasures Jesus. She treasures what God has done. This goes along with praise. It's this thankful attitude of realizing how good and how great God truly is. So Mary's reaction, and let's just take this for a second. I mean, think about where she was, a young girl, a virgin, being told that she's going to give birth to a baby. And all of that, this is a crazy thing to happen to her. And she could have just gone crazy and insane with what was happening, but instead she chose not to focus on any of her questions or focus on how this is all going to work, but she focused on God, his goodness, his grace, and treasured it in her hearts, in her heart. So let's look now at our second character, who would be Mary's betrothed, Joseph. So let's look at Joseph, a little bit different response to start, but it still comes around to the same thing at the end. Matthew 1, so we're over to Matthew now, Matthew 1, 18 and 19. This is what we read in Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So we're introduced to Joseph. And he, it's right at the beginning of Matthew's telling of how Jesus was born. And he makes sure that he, makes, that he makes it very clear that Mary becomes pregnant. Now, we know the background, right? We just read what happened in Luke. We know the background of how Mary came to this point. But you can think about Joseph as his now betrothed, basically his wife at this point, but betrothed that is promised to him, comes to him, and she is pregnant. Now, He's going to have some of the same thoughts that maybe Mary did at first. How is this going to work? But at the same time, because he's not thinking at a miraculous level at this point, because he hasn't had the, the, the angel come to him at this point yet, and, and he looks at the situation and he says, well, I'm going to, he's doubting. So he's doubting the Christmas story. He's doubting Jesus. He's doubting God. And that's where it starts. We can just read that. And, and, and why wouldn't he? As he looks at what's happening and he, he simply sees the outside and he doesn't understand a non-miraculous conception. I mean, uh, he doesn't understand a miraculous conception. So therefore, there was only one way that she could get pregnant and that meant she was unfaithful to him. And so he was going to do a good thing. He was going to divorce her, which at this point was, was really what it meant was he wouldn't marry her as that he had promised because she had broken her vow. He was ready to do all that, but then we see what happens next. Matthew chapter 1, and uh, verse 20 through 23. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, right after this, this is what we see. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We are familiar with this passage, but here we see Joseph is given a dream. God shows him what's going on. Now, let's remember, Joseph still at this point could have had the opportunity to, or the option to say, no, I'm not going to believe this. It was just a dream. I must have had something funky to eat. No, he didn't do any of that. He listened to what the angel said. Okay, so we see that he listened. He heard the word of God through the angel. 
that Mary indeed was carrying the Son of God through an immaculate conception, miraculous, and that his, that Jesus' name would be called Jesus. He listens, he sees what God has said, and in just a moment we're going to see him respond to that. But it's important that at this point he listened. He heard what was being said and he listened to what was being said. We, too, come to Christmas, we come to Jesus, and we must listen to God's word as he wants to teach us who he is. So he does listen, and how do we know that? Well, we see that in the third way he responds, and that is not only does he doubt, he doubts to begin, but then he listens, and that doubt now becomes obedience. He chooses to obey. Matthew 1, 24 through 25. Matthew 21, I'm sorry, Matthew 1, 24 through 25. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Despite all the questions that may have been in Joseph's mind, the whole plan not necessarily revealed, but he knew a couple of basic things. He knew that Mary was carrying the Son of God, and he knew that that Son of God was going to save people from their sins. That is the Christmas story we focus on. It's not just the baby that's born. It's the baby that grew up to die for people's sins so that they could be forgiven to rise again and defeat sin and death. And he's not given all of that here, but Joseph knows he needs to listen to the angel and he does exactly what he was told to do. He obeys. He obeys God's word. It's really what's happening here. God tells him something through the angel and he does it. May we take a lesson from that as well. Let's look at the next character or characters. Let's look at the shepherds. We're familiar with the shepherds pretty well, but let's read that from Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, 1 through 17. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. But there was no place for them in the inn, because there was no place for them in the inn. And the same region, in the same region were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on peace and peace and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. 
So we see the shepherds. We're going to read more of the story in just a moment. But we see the shepherds' first reaction. I mean, yes, they see the angels. They're afraid, of course. They're, I, that makes sense. But then once they're told what's going on, what do they do? Well, this is something I just thought of. And I, and I didn't really think about this because a lot of times we see our, uh, like our, our manger scenes and we see the star right over top of the, uh, of the you know, nice little nativity and there's the star right there. And, oh, that would be pretty easy to find because there's a big star that's right there. We don't really know if the star was there yet. Uh, we're actually not told about the star until we get to the wise men. What we know is that the shepherds are told, go find this baby. And they go to find the baby. They had to search for Jesus. Like, this wasn't just, oh yeah, this is, there's a big road sign here, go to Jesus. No, this, they, they knew the baby was born in Bethlehem, and they go down into the city and they search to find the baby. They go to search, they take the word of God, and they, re- they realize they need to go find this baby, and they do. They go to search. After the angel's announcement, they went into the city, they searched for Jesus. There is no apathy here. There is no, you know what, well, maybe in the morning we can go find the baby. Um, you know, yeah, we can wait until our sheep are asleep. Uh, there was no, like, oh, we can, we can, we got to figure out what we're doing with our sheep first. None of that. No, the, the shepherds are like, let's go. And they go. There's no apathy. They go to find Jesus. They go to find Christmas. And they go to see him and find him. And indeed, they do find him. They seek him out. They find the baby, just as the angel said. And they tell everybody there what just happened with the angels and how they told them who he was. And it continues then. So not only did they search, but then they shared. Uh, we already said, saw that they shared with everyone there. But in verses 17 through 19, this is what we read again. And when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them according, concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I love the shepherds here. Not only do they go immediately and search for the baby, they find Jesus. They tell everybody, hey, we just had these angels show up. This is what they said about him. He's going to be, uh, he's going to be the savior and he's bringing, he's bringing peace and joy to all mankind. And they give the, they give the story and everyone who hears them is marveling. Everyone is wondering what is going on here. And they realize there's something big going on. And so therefore we see that the shepherds took a role of Evangelists. They're kind of the very first evangelists, if you will, about the good news of Jesus. And, and they're telling everybody what they know about Jesus, and they're sharing the news. So they search for Jesus, they share Jesus with those around. And finally, we just see the general idea of praise in verse 20. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds made sure that Christmas, that Jesus would be praised. And so they glorify God as they go away from there. They don't just forget about it and say, okay, great, baby in a manger, cool, let's go back to life. No, they are glorifying God. They see Christmas for what it is. They see Jesus for who he is, and they have public profession and praise that goes forward. Let's look at our next characters. And Yes, just to get that out here before anybody wants to yell at me. Uh, I understand this takes place later. This is not right then. But we're going to talk about the Magi. We're going to talk about the wise men. The Magi's reaction to Christmas, to Jesus being born, to Jesus being there. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 to start, as we're introduced to the Magi. Matthew 2, 1 through 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying... Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. All right, so we're introduced to the Magi. We're introduced to the wise men. They come, and the first thing I want to say is uh, their reaction to Christmas is 
It's kind of similar to the shepherds, whereas the shepherds went to search the city, the magi are seeking this king. They are seeking Jesus. They are looking to find him. In fact, they've traveled perhaps thousands of miles. They've perhaps, they've, they've traveled because they saw the star and they see that there's a star. They know they come and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They knew what was happening. This wasn't just a, hey, they saw a star, they thought it was interesting, so they wanted to go check out the star. I think a lot of times that's presented here about the wise men. It's like, uh, they were watching the skies, they saw a star, and so they thought it was a weird star, so they decided to go check it out. That's not what happened. We see very clearly as the wise men show up, they come to Herod and they say, where is the king who has been born, or who is the, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They know. And how do they know this? Well, there's lots of speculation. Uh, maybe it goes all the way back to Daniel and, and how he would spread that through the, the, the east. Uh, we don't really know exactly how they know, but they do know. Because they show up looking for Jesus. And so they are seeking Jesus. They are seeking Christmas. This would have taken a long time, and it would have been very expensive. They took the time, and they traveled far just to see Jesus, to see the new king. So this is, we start to see how important Jesus is to them. But then let's see what happens when they do finally get there, when they finally see Jesus in Matthew 2, 9 through 10. Not only did they seek, but they also rejoice. Matthew 2, 9 and 10, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that had been seen when it rose before them until it came, uh, I'm sorry, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So they get there, they see the place that they've been traveling to, and they, they, are, they rejoice exceedingly. And you got, this is a party atmosphere. They're, they're so excited. Shouts of praise, shouts of joy. I can just see it as they see the star. They see the baby. They see where they've been traveling to, and they realize how wonderful and great it is, and all they can do is be filled with exceeding joy. Quite different than Charlie Brown, right? Exceedingly, exceeding joy, the, the opposite. It's just they're so excited and so happy about seeing what they've been searching for. And then finally, what do they do when they arrive after their joy? In their joy, what do they do? Well, Matthew 2.11 makes it very clear. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. So they see Jesus now. So they've seen the house. They're joyful. They know they found this place. Now they see Jesus, they go in, they see him with Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These weren't just everyday gifts. This wasn't just a baby shower. The gifts they gave were to show the importance, the kingship, the, the everything about how they were going to worship God. They were worshipping Jesus through their gifts. There was worship. They, they, they were men who seek. They were men who rejoice. They were men who worship. They honored Jesus with gifts of worship. These men, these wise men who had traveled so far, saw how important it was to worship this baby, this toddler, however old he was. Either way, it's not very often you'll see a one-year-old, two-year-old being worshipped. But here, they know there is something special about this child. That leads us then to our final reaction today. So far, we've seen some good stuff. We've seen Mary, who's responded with trust, praise, and treasure. We've seen Joseph respond initially with doubt, but then listened and obeyed. 
We've seen the shepherds who took time to search for Jesus and share Jesus and praise God. We've seen the magi who have sought Jesus, who rejoiced and worshipped Jesus. And all of these things are things we must do as well. We must trust God. We must praise him. We should treasure him. We, we should listen to him when we doubt. We should obey when we're told things that we need to do. We should search for God and his glory. We should share it with the world around us. We should praise God whenever we have time, the, the opportunity. We should seek God in his face and what he has for us. We should rejoice in knowing Jesus. We should have joy in our lives and we should worship God every moment of every day, not just Christmas day, but every day all year long for the rest of our lives. All of these things are things we should be doing, and we see them being done by these various characters, but these are things we need to do as well. And these are all good reactions to Christmas, good reactions to Jesus. But now let's look at our final reaction as we think about the Christmas story. And of course, this is Herod. We want to see Herod's reaction. First thing we see, and you could say anger, but I I believe that there's more fear here. Fear and anger go together. So we're going to say Herod's reaction to the Christmas story, to Jesus, was fear. Matthew 2, 3 through 6. It says, after the wise men come, they say, hey, where's the king of the Jews? Where's he been born? And this is what Herod does. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, and they told him, in the Bethlehem of Judea, For so it is written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod hears this. He hears that there's a king of the Jews that has been born, and we're told that he was troubled along with all of Jerusalem. Well, the question then becomes, why would he be troubled? I mean, wouldn't this be exciting for the Jews? The king of the Jews, that's the Messiah, like he's here. Great. No. Uh, Herod, and when we say all of Jerusalem, it could be just referring to the leadership of Jerusalem. It could be referring to the fact that it's the whole city because they knew Herod would go crazy and they were afraid of what he would do. There, there's, there's, lots of, there's lots of ways we could look at this, but I believe very, very basically what we see is there's a troubling thing here because this is going to change everything. This baby, this is being called king of the Jews, is going to threaten everything that Herod stands for. Herod, this is his people. He's the king, right? Herod is the king, not this baby. Why would I, why would I tell you where a new king has been born? I don't, I don't even know. And then he's like, well, I gotta find out where he's at. He doesn't even know where he was supposed to be born. So obviously there was, this is a shock to Herod in one sense, even though the Old Testament's made it very clear this is coming. But it's a shock to him. He turns to the people and they're like, oh yeah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so the idea here, though, is that if there's a new king, if the Savior is here, if the Messiah is here, everything that Herod has worked for is going to be gone. He's worked to have a good relationship with the Romans. Uh, with the Romans. He's worked to rule the people. And by the way, Herod was a terrible king. He was, he was ruthless. He was, he was uh, violent. He would kill people just because they didn't agree with him or because he didn't like them. And this was his life, and now he sees, wait, the, the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the, the, the one that was prophesied in Bethlehem is coming, is here? He's threatened. And so we see fear. This news that he receives would change everything, and he knew it. And so did Jerusalem, whether just the leaders of Jerusalem or the whole of Jerusalem. But they would see it and know that things were about to change. And doesn't Jesus change everything for everyone? 
And we see that here. He knows the change is coming. So then how does he respond? Well, he starts by flattery or hypocrisy is what we'll call it today. Hypocrisy, Matthew 2, 7 and 8. I know it says 18 on your thing, but it's just 8. Matthew 2, 7 and 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now at this point, we know the rest of the story and we're going to read it in a moment, but this is not what Herod actually means. He doesn't care to find the baby so he can go worship Jesus. No, he wants to get rid of Jesus. So out of his fear, we see hypocrisy. He pretends to be a worshiper of Jesus, but has sinister motives to find him. And we're going to see in just a minute what he does. But what we understand here is that Herod is using trickery. He's trying to manipulate. He's trying to take things into his own hand because, again, he's afraid of what he's going to lose. And so he wants to figure out how he can preserve himself, preserve his own way of life to protect himself from the change that would come. So what does he do? All right, so he says all that. Thankfully, the wise men are warned. They don't tell him. They go another way because God tells them not to go back and tell Herod where the baby is. But it doesn't stop Herod, Matthew 2, 16 through 18. Then Herod, when he had saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. We see what Herod does. And this is the saddest part of the Christmas story. We see that he slaughters all children, all boys that are under two years old in all of Bethlehem. Just to make sure that he can preserve himself. So we see fear leads to hypocrisy that leads to destruction. This is Herod's response to Christmas. Much like, I guess, the Grinch, but so much worse. He wanted to steal Christmas by killing all the babies. That was his response. Now, I've told you all the things that have been responded to before and how we need to follow that example. Uh, This is not an example, obviously, we want to follow, but think about our own motivations with our lives. So many times we can push Jesus away because of fear. Because we know that he might change everything. If that baby changes everything, if Jesus changes everything in our lives, then that's a scary thing. We can be run by fear. And maybe we don't jump to anything extreme like Herod did to kill these babies. But we choose to walk away from Jesus. We choose not to listen. We choose to do it, go our own way out of fear. We choose to be hypocrites, to say that we worship Jesus, but really we don't really worship Jesus because that would change everything, and I'm not ready for that. So as we think about responding to Christmas, we think about responding to Jesus. Let's respond to Jesus not with fear, but with with trust and praise and faith. So let's conclude with one last passage. Actually, there will be a few passages that will go along with it, but... One passage that is a Christmas passage that many times we don't necessarily read because it's not telling us all the details of the story, but it's telling us what's really going on behind the scenes. In John chapter 1, verses 9 through 18, 
we're going to start and we're going to read. And what I want us to think about as we read this is what will your reaction to Christmas be? What will your response to Christmas be? We all have a choice today. How we respond to Jesus and how will we do that? So let's read John 1, 9 through 18. So we read, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him. And yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was the one whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. This is telling us the coming of Jesus in the flesh. The coming of Jesus in the flesh, being born as a baby on that first Christmas, is an incredible gift of grace and truth. It's Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the gift to all of us. It's the word becoming flesh, the word dwelling among us, the true light that dispels the darkness. This is the baby who came on Christmas. Jesus, the one who would shine light in the darkness, the one who would give eternal life, the one who would die for sin to rise again, to give life to all those who will receive it. And that's where we go. What will our reaction to Christmas be? Well, what we're told here, especially in in John 1, in verse 12, very famous verse. Well, actually, we'll start with 11. It said, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. We see here that there are only two ways to respond to Christmas, only two ways to respond to Jesus. Either you receive him, or you don't receive him. Either you throw the gift away or you receive it, you open it, and you say, Jesus, yes, please save me. Jesus, who was born as a baby, lived a perfect life that we couldn't live so that he could die a death that we deserve to die so we could be forgiven of our sins. If we'll come to him in faith and trust in him and we can, the light in our, the darkness in our life can be dispelled by his light. That is the one who became flesh, who dwells among us, who, and this is the baby. This is Christmas. This is Jesus. And we either receive that gift and we say, Jesus, yes, please save me. Yes, Jesus, I want you. Or we say, no. It's very clear. There were his own people, the Jews, but there's more than that. People either receive him or don't receive him. And those who choose to receive him, they are children of God. No one is a child of God simply because they exist. A child of God is one who receives Jesus. Now, the next question we might have is, what does this receiving look like? Well, let's look at a few more passages. We're going to read John more, but we're going to 1 John. So we're going over to 1 John chapter 3. But let us remember, as we just realized, there's, either, there's really no middle ground. There's two ways to respond to Christmas. There's two ways to respond to Jesus. We receive him or we don't. There's no middle ground. 1 John 3, 1 through 10 is going to tell us that even more. 1 John 3, 1 through 10. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. There's that idea again that we are the children of God, those who believe in him. And so we are. 
The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident those who are the children of God that those who are, and those who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Some harsh words here to really make us think about what it means to receive Jesus. What does it mean to receive Jesus and become children of God, to be born of God, to be reborn, to be born again? Well, it takes... What we're going to see in just a moment, it's going to take faith. And we see that throughout Scripture. It's believing in Jesus. That is what makes us a child of God. It's receiving Jesus. But what we see here is very clear, that there are only two ways of living. There is one in which we believe in Jesus and live it out, or there is one in which we don't believe in Jesus and we live that out. That the way we live matters and how we believe matters. And so what we're going to see in 1 John 3 and now in just a minute, 1 John 5, which we need to quickly read to understand this in more context. But what we need to get out of this in 1 John 3 is pretty simple. Those who are born of God, those who are new in Christ, those who have received Jesus, their life will look different. They will respond by living a life that is reflecting the faith that they have. And let's just jump right to 1 John 5 as we talk about this, and we'll meld these things together. 1 John chapter 5. Well, maybe. I copied and pasted the wrong verses. Oh, hold on. Sorry, guys. All right. We're going to... Just real quick, talk amongst yourselves. Give me a second. Um, All right. We need to get to 1 John 5. This isn't something we can skip, and it's something we need to read because it really gives us the full picture of what it means to be born of God, to have a new life in Christ. Let's look at this. Okay. 1 John 5, verses 1 through 5. 1 John 5. 1 through 5. Okay, this is what we read. All right. Sorry, it's not on the screen. But 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Is it on the screen? Oh, you guys are amazing. I uh, see. This is where this I should have just turned around. All right. Um, okay. Uh, thank you, Brooke. Thank you. All right. Here we go. 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is, uh, is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son 
of God. Merry Christmas. I want to really focus our thoughts on this. As we talk about our reaction to Christmas, what is our reaction? This is it. 1 John 5, 1-5. It's about believing in Jesus. It's about believing in him and having faith in him and trusting in him. And all the things we talk about will flow from that. As we believe in Jesus, our life will reflect it. As we have faith in Jesus, we will praise him. As we have faith in Jesus, we will trust him. We will praise him. We will treasure him. We will listen to him. We will obey him. We will search for him. We will share him. We will praise him again. We will seek him. We will rejoice over him. We will worship him. All of these things will be true if we truly believe in Jesus and we are reborn. We are born again in Christ through faith that we can overcome the world. We overcome all that's in this world, the death, the darkness, the destruction through God and his grace and believing in him. And yes, that'll result in us obeying his commandments because there's nothing else we can do. Because we are new, we are born again. Therefore, as we consider all of these verses, our reaction to Christmas needs to be to receive Jesus through faith, which then leads to a new life of love, righteousness, and obedience. This is how we are born again to eternal life. So this Christmas, Christmas Eve, today, I want us to think about this. Jesus was born so that we could be reborn. Jesus was born so we could be reborn. Christmas came so that we could respond in faith, which will change everything. So my question as we end is, have you allowed Jesus to change everything? Have you responded to Jesus by faith? And has he changed your life? Because the Bible is very clear. That as we come to Jesus, as we respond to Jesus, as we believe in Jesus, as we trust in him, that it will change everything, how we live, how we think, how we see God, how we see others, how we love him, how we love other people. Our whole lives should be changed, should be renewed. We should have a new life. We should be born again. And if that's not you, then this Christmas... Don't just celebrate his birthday, but celebrate your own. Come to Jesus. Be reborn. Trust in Jesus. And if you're sitting here today and you know that you know Jesus, just reflect about how good and glorious and wonderful he truly is. The fact that God himself stepped down from his throne to be born as a human baby, to live that life that we couldn't live, to go through all the temptations and trials that a human would go through, to experience all of that so that he could die on the cross for your sin, so that he could rise again and give you hope, and so that you can look forward to him coming back again. As we come to Christmas, let's not just remember, think about the lights and the manger and the nativities and the gifts and all the other things. Let us not worry about any of these movies that I've mentioned. Let us think about Jesus and praise him and be joyful in Christ because that's what Christmas is all about. And again, if you don't know that, Jesus then today, receive him. You simply come to him and ask, and he will make your life new. With all that, I'm just going to close in a word of prayer. It took a little longer than I wanted to, because I couldn't find them. But anyway, let us pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. God, thank you for Christmas. Thank you that we are born again for those who believe in you. I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't truly believe in you and you have not changed their life, would you 
Help them to see their need for you. Would you change them from the inside out? Would you restore them, renew them? God, would you birth them? Lord, we all need to be praising you and looking to you at all times. We thank you for those of us who have been born again, and I pray if there's anyone who isn't, that they would be this morning. Thank you for all that you're doing, that you're coming back again one day, and even as we celebrate your first coming, we can look forward to your second. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.